You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Happy Tuesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the episode each week where you control the direction of the discussion by sending me questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills, and I respond to it here on the podcast. And we have a ton of great stuff to get to, so let's do it. First one today comes from Chris It's also similar to one sent in by Matt on the overall run game differences this year versus last year. This is what Chris asked. He said, are we seeing individual success between Moss and Singletary or is it scheme? Singletary has been pretty good in the first two games, but not as much yesterday versus the Washington football team. It was Moss's day for sure. Just wondering if you noticed if they ran the same type of plays for them or if they each have different schemes? Great question, and so let's unpack some of what we're learning about the Bills' run scheme so far this year. So this is what I've been able to uncover. Some different data points that I think matter. As far as Zach Moss and Devin Singletary and how they're being used, Zach Moss has run the football 12 times on zone concepts and eight times In gap concepts, Singletary, 27 zone rushes and eight gap runs. So you're seeing the zone runs skew more towards Singletary. And that is a difference from last year. The percentage of gap runs for Singletary in 2021 is down and the percentage of zone runs is up. For Moss the percentage of gap runs is up so far in 2021. So that's number one. But the biggest thing that's different in the run scheme this year versus the run scheme last year is that the blocking is better. Let me give you a number that illustrates what I'm talking about. So far this year, yards before contact, Zach Moss is averaging two yards per carry before he's contacted. That's up from 1.34 yards in 2020. For Devin Singletary, it's very drastic. So far this year, on average, it's 3.1 yards before Singletary gets touched as opposed to 1.23 in 2020. So they're getting better run blocking. There's more space available for them before they get hit. And neither one of them so far this year is doing particularly well with yards after contact. Zach Moss is only at 2.1 yards after contact per attempt, and Singletary's right at two yards after contact per attempt. You'd like to see both of those guys closer to three. So the scheme is getting them the yards. They're not getting that much yardage after contact. 
So that's an exciting thing because that number is going to go up for both running backs. They're better after contact runners than what they've shown so far this year. So three things. Number one, more zone for Singletary and less gap. Number two, more gap for Moss and less zone. And yards before contact. Their run blocking is flat out better this year. The next one today comes from Larry who says, I was hoping to hear the PFF grades for the Buffalo Bills offensive line for week three against Washington. And so here they are. And as a reminder, a 70 is considered average or a starter level. Uh, In the 60s is a backup level. And below 59 is a replacement level. Deion Dawkins had a grade of 71.9. He gave up two pressures. John Feliciano graded at a 59.6. He gave up three pressures. Mitch Morse was graded at 66.7. He gave up one pressure. Cody Ford was graded at 31.2. He gave up 12 pressures. And Daryl Williams was graded at 66.1, and he surrendered four pressures. So a decent day across the board, except for Cody Ford. 12 pressures given up in the game. And that leads us right into Michael's question, which is... Saw this tweet from Cover 1 pointing out PFF's pass-blocking grade for Cody Ford. How do you think he looked? And, of course, it's a tweet from Cover 1 sharing that in 48 pass-blocking snaps, Cody Ford gave up 12 pressures. And I'll tell you what, live, I didn't feel like he played that bad, and I think that was mostly because Josh Allen did such a good job of making – that first guy miss in the pocket and then just doing whatever he wanted with the football. But after discussing it with some people that I trust and going back and watching the tape, Cody Ford got worked. Deron Payne absolutely ate him up. Now the good news is that the rest of the Bills offensive line held up pretty well, but Cody Ford really struggled in pass protection, which is disappointing. The next one today comes from Josh, who says, During a previous podcast before we played the Dolphins, you touched on the overall percent chances of teams that start 0-2, 1-1, and 2-0 that make the playoffs. I'm a more analytical person and was just curious on how those numbers look when a team improves their record to 2-1 and then 3-1 and was wondering if you had any numbers available there. It would definitely put my mind more at ease, especially with Josh Allen looking way more comfortable over his dominant performance over Washington. So if you get to 2-1, and one, your percent chance of making the playoffs is at 59%. And when I say that, I mean over the last 10 years, teams that were 2-1 and one went on to make the playoffs 59% of the time. If you get to 3-1, and one, goes up to 70%. So I don't know that we have to look at the Bills through this lens as a team that we're concerned about getting to the playoffs. I think that should very much be our expectation. I think the way the rest of the division is looking, it's it's looking like the Bills should definitely be a top four seed. We should be more interested in, all right, can this team be the one seed? And so obviously a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers hurts but there's a lot of football left to be played. And the Bills can take care of their business and be the one seed, which I think would be huge, getting the bye week and making sure that you're playing every game at home. 
So I think that's the lens we need to look at this Bills team through. The next one comes from JD who says, I'm wondering what you think about the defensive line rotation. It really stood out to me on Sunday that Rousseau and Epinesa were coming out on a lot of passing downs. Those guys clearly look like our best ends, and to me, I'm hoping they get used that way sooner than later. So as far as the defensive line rotation goes, on Sunday against Washington, everybody played between 37% of the snaps and 60%. Range from 20 snaps from Epinesa to 32 for Hughes. So Hughes played 32, Oliver 31, Starr 31, Rousseau 30, Addison 26, Zimmer 25, Butler 21, and Epinesa 20. I would agree with you that I think the Bills' two pass rushers that are most effective right now are Rousseau and Epinesa. And so I'd like to see them gain the most playing time, especially Epinesa, who deserves to play more than 20 snaps in my mind. And so I might take Jerry Hughes from 32 snaps down to 25 and give him to Epinesa. I may take Addison from 26 snaps down to 20 and sprinkle them between Epinesa and Russo. But I think we're kind of splitting hairs, right? Like the factors that go into the differences between 20 and 26 snaps, they're pretty, pretty small. So I think this is where the Bills are comfortable, but I do tend to agree with you in that I like to see Epinesa and Rousseau claiming the majority of that playing time. Hey, Bills fans, this is Joe Marino with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to $0.25 for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN and get a bonus $0.25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to $0.50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out at any time to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. Football is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron with teams on the field to start another season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. And don't forget to use promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and they are your online sportsbook experts. The next one today comes from Tyler, who says, does Matt Milano have an argument as the best linebacker in football? And what does he do for our defense going forward if he continues playing at this level? So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Matt Milano is the best linebacker in football. And in general, 
these questions kind of bug me. And it's not that you did anything wrong by asking it. It's a fair question. But whenever we get into these conversations about who's the best player, who's the best wide receiver, who's the best linebacker, who's the best corner, when you think about it, it's like, well, Matt Milano's a really good linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. What they ask him to do meshes really well with his skill set, and he's a top-level performer. Insert the same analysis for Darius Leonard or Fred Warner or Devin White, or Roquan Smith. You can do the same thing for literally every player at every position when you're talking about that top tier of player. So Matt Milano is the best weak side linebacker in football for the Buffalo Bills. I I think that's the way I would say it. I don't know about this whole which cornerback's the best. Jalen Ramsey? Trey White? I don't know, like... (laughs) They both mean a lot for the teams that they that they are on, and they fill the roles that they're asked to fill very well. So I don't think Matt Milano is the best linebacker in football. I think he's been the Bills' defensive MVP so far this year, and he's a really good player. If he continues to perform at this level, I think you can you could see the impact. You you can measure it by considering what this defense looked like last year without a healthy Matt Milano. I mean, that's the difference from being an average defense to being an elite defense. Now, certainly star being back and the defensive line rotation being sorted out helps a lot. But Milano plays a big part in that. You can ask Bruce Nolan for the plurality pie on contributing factors to the Bills defense being off to the start that it's at. I would love to, I'd love to hear Bruce. There you go. Almighty take Bruce Nolan. Give me the plurality pie, that is not easy to say, of variables that play into the Bills' defense being better so far in 2021. I'll hang up and listen. The next one today comes from Joe who says, My question is about the final touchdown for Washington this past weekend and Micah Hyde's safety play. During the play, it appeared that Micah Hyde was covering the receiver on his backside when Heineke lifted the ball into the end zone with the position of Hyde allowing the receiver the opportunity to make a play on the ball resulting in a touchdown. While watching it in real time, it gave me flashbacks to the infamous Hal Murray from last year where Hyde was in the same position on a lofted pass from Murray to Hopkins that ultimately resulted in a touchdown catch to win the game. Thankfully, this one was not as close, but my question is, is this a flaw in Micah Hyde's gameplay that coaching should recognize and address, or is this a typical position for a defensive back to be in during a high pass into the end zone? What should the Bills do to ensure these plays don't continue to happen? Thanks for the podcast every week. It makes the wait for Sunday go faster. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. So what you had there in terms of that play is Micah Hyde, guarding Logan Thomas and Logan Thomas having leverage at the catch point. And so ideally Micah Hyde would get himself in position so that his body is between Logan Thomas and the quarterback instead of it being Logan Thomas's body between Micah Hyde and the quarterback. That's leverage, right? And by alignment, Logan Thomas is going to have that built-in leverage. He's going to run his route. Micah Hyde is going to be 
facing him. And so it's just a matter of him maintaining that leverage so that he can be an available target for his quarterback. And that is a difficult spot to be in for any defensive back, especially when you're Micah Hyde, who's not a small safety, six foot, 197 pounds, 31 and a half inch arms, and a vertical jump of 33 inches. Well, Logan Thomas is 6'6, 248, with 34 and a quarter inch arms and a 35 and a half inch vertical. So he's got six inches, 50 pounds, almost three full inches in arm length, and two and a half inches in the vertical jump. That's a great job by Logan Thomas, just getting himself in position, establishing his frame at the catch point, and allowing his wingspan and size advantage to make a play. I don't think there's anything Micah Hyde can do other than try to get around him so that he can be in better position to make a play at the catch point. It's hard to do. Ideally, He does establish that leverage, and now Heineke has to fit the ball into Thomas with the back line of the end zone as an additional defender for the Bills, but these are typical scenarios that players are in in football games, right? And that's just a good job by Heineke finding the matchup, making the throw, Thomas being stout at the catch point, and using his wingspan to make a great play. That's all it is. Next one today comes from Andrew who says, I won't say I told you so because you've been saying the same things about Dawson Knox, but he's playing so well. Would you mind laying out all of his numbers for this year in the last 12 or 16 games compared to Zach Ertz and some other tight ends that everyone has been clamoring for? The grass isn't always greener. Go Bills. All right, so I definitely gave you my Dawson Knox spiel yesterday on the podcast. Um regarding the success that he's had over the last 12 games and how he's developing right before our eyes. So I don't necessarily want to get into all of that again. If you missed that, go back and listen to yesterday's podcast. But I'm not quite ready to spike the football when it comes to where I've stood on Dawson Knox. But I will take this opportunity to talk about Jonu Smith, who the New England Patriots signed to a four-year $50 million contract That includes $31.5 million guaranteed, which is the most ever guaranteed money handed out to a tight end in the history of the NFL. A player that many Bills fans wanted the Bills to sign. And how has Jonu Smith fared so far in three games with the Patriots? 16 targets, 10 catches, 74 yards. 7.4 yards per reception. His average depth of target is 4.1, so it's the same Jonu Smith that we saw at Tennessee just leaking out of the formation and catching the football on shallow routes, but his drop rate is 23.1%. He had a fumble in week one, and Patriots quarterbacks have a passer rating of 47.4 when targeting Jonu Smith. Oh, by the way, only three of his 10 catches have gone for a first down. Four years, $50 million, $31.5 million guaranteed for Jonu Smith. Obviously, things are probably going to get better for Smith in New England. That scheme has to evolve. Mac Jones is a young quarterback. 
but I'll stick with Dawson Knox. Next one today comes from Smooth, who says, I wanted to get your opinion on how you feel the Bills defenders have done at setting the edge so far this year. I don't know much about Taylor Heineke, but on paper, it seemed like a good test from an edge-setting perspective, which the Bills appeared to have passed, at least to me. I feel this is very important with Kansas City and Tennessee coming up in a few weeks. So good question, Smooth. I think we have two different things we have to address here within your question. Setting the edge as it relates to run defense and then maintaining contain, right, not allowing quarterbacks to get outside the pocket on passing downs. Now, the Bills have done great at both, and I will continue to shout out Gregory Rousseau and his run defense and how outstanding of a job he's done setting the edge and making sure that he maintains outside leverage while still squeezing down gaps. I mean, he's been phenomenal. But then that other component here is not allowing quarterbacks to get outside the pocket, and that stems from being smart with your rush angles and taking a contained rush so that way that quarterback can't get outside the pocket. Pretty much the opposite of what Chase Young did this week against the Bills, rushing off of the uh, the right side of the offense. Getting too far up the field, getting too loopy with your rush. Josh Allen said, thank you very much. Not only will I make plays by getting outside the pocket to the right, I will make Deron Payne miss because Cody Ford can't block him. So the Bills have done a good job of that this year. The bigger tests are coming. Mahomes and Tannehill, both of those guys have had some success getting outside the pocket against the Bills. Now, fortunately for Buffalo, Trent Murphy is no longer that guy that's responsible for containing the quarterback in the pocket from rolling to his right. And I think the Bills will be better just by not having him in the lineup. But I'm anxious to see what Rousseau can do in that role. I think he's been great so far, even in the preseason. He's been great at that. And he needs to continue that against Tennessee and Kansas City and really all the opponents because it's an important part of being a good defense. The next one comes from Daniel who says, Happy Victory Monday. My question today is surrounding the offensive tackle position in conjunction with your discussion on defensive end success coming from a reduction of rush angles. I noticed Darrell Williams was beaten yesterday a handful of times, but when he was, the defensive end was rushing wide and deep, which allowed Allen to step up into the pocket and to his right, which we know is dangerous. My question is, was this actually Darrell Williams getting beat or was this part of his game plan and actually savvy of him to take away the more narrow rush angle, pushing the defense around wide and deep? Would love your thoughts. Daniel, yes, this is what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I'm talking about. I heard an offensive line coach one time say, a lot of times all you have to do as an offensive tackle is take the pass rusher where they want to go more than they want to get there. So if they want to beat you around your outside hip with a wider rush, invite them to do that and steer them that way. That's all you need sometimes. Because these quarterbacks get the ball out in two and a half seconds on average, right? Maybe 2.75 sometimes. Josh, right now, his average time to throw is 2.8 seconds. And that's how long you have to pass block for. And so if you just make these guys elongate 
and widen their path to the quarterback, they're going to run out of time. They're not going to get there. And so for a pass blocker, particularly at offensive tackle, use your length, use your size, and elongate their path to your quarterback. And if they want to get loopy and up the field, invite them. Go right ahead. You'll ask, you'll take that all day long. And yes, that is a way to reiterate the point that I make about defensive ends, that you have to be able to reduce rush angles. You have to be able to shorten that path. You need to be able to go through these offensive tackles. And that stems from good angles, good get-off, using your length, and understanding how to soften rush angles. What do I mean by soften rush angles? It's attacking half of a man and using your hands to create that opportunity to come off their outside hip to get to the quarterback. And when you get loopy and wide and up the field, you are not reducing your rush angle. You are elongating your rush angle for the offensive tackle. Quarterbacks get the ball out of their hands too quick to not be able to reduce rush angles as a pass rusher. And I'll tell you what, Brandon Bean understands this, and that's why he went out and got a guy like Gregory Rousseau who knows how to win that way. That's what A.J. Epinesa can do as well. So stylistically, I absolutely love the direction that the Bills are going at defensive end with the types of players that they're bringing in because it's what what you need. It's what you have to have. You can't just run circles around offensive tackles and, and expect to be an effective pass rusher. Tough way to make a living. And you create a lot of opportunity for that offense when you lose contain and don't take good angles to the quarterback. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket. You will save time and money when using rockauto.com. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on. In their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. Do you know what one of the best parts of football season is? Dips. I'm talking about guacamole, salsa, bean dip, queso, artichoke dip. The list goes on. My wife makes an amazing buffalo chicken dip, and we love to have tortilla chips handy for taco soup and chili. But do you know what one of the worst parts is? It's when your chip breaks in dip. The team at Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips does not stand for weak tortilla chips because they know there is nothing worse than brittle chips that can't hold their guac. The guys at Zach's Mighty have been keeping me stocked this season with their tortilla chips, and I got to tell you, there is nothing else like them. In fact, I've got a bag right here. Can you hear that? Not only are these chips sturdy and crunchy, 
but they're absolutely delicious and they don't break in guac. We had chili last night for dinner, had a bag of Zach's Mighty tortilla chips ready to go. Not one single injured chip. They held up to the test. They don't break. They're sturdy. They taste delicious. And I'll tell you what, it's the total package when it comes to a tortilla chip. And Zach's Mighty also partners with farms in upstate New York to grow their corn. So make sure to pick up a bag at your local Wegmans and say goodbye to weak chips forever. Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, stand up to guac. The next one today comes from DK who says, while there's been criticism of the Bills' decision to keep only five corners on the roster, I think there is some rationale to it. A, the Bills keep a heavier group of D linemen on the roster than most teams because they rotate them so often, so they need more on the 48 that play every week. B, they keep a decent amount of linebackers on the roster, despite usually only keeping two on the field at a time because of the amount of special teams those guys play. And C, they keep a low amount of corners in particular and DBs in general because of the fact that most of the DBs do not rotate. Poyer, Hyde, Taron Johnson, and Trey play almost every snap every week, and they use the practice squad, which is heavy on DBs, more as an injury fill-in, so don't need as many on the active roster. DK continues to note that watching Allen discuss Brian Dable losing his grandmother in the press conference was really something impressive. You could see his emotion on display. It was very endearing to see how much the players and coaches care for one another and work hard for each other, and it just shows how solid of an organization Bean and McDermott have created. I'll tell you what, DK makes some very good points here. I think it's a standalone statement. I think he did a good job of articulating the reasons why the Bills go a little bit light on defensive backs, and then your comment about Dable and Allen and the passing of Dable's grandmother and how the team rallied behind that is just another example of this team's culture and how much they care for one another and how because of that they want to deliver for each other on a weekly basis. So I'm not going to add anything there, DK. I thought you had a great statement. The next one comes from Jeff who says, Hey, Joe, you'd gotten into this last week on Friday, and I wanted to hear your take on the correlation between Matt Hawk taking a half an hour to get his punt off and how that has resulted in our effectiveness in special teams, allowing a league low in punt return yardage. Our gunners are great, and I think this extra few seconds to get to the return man is really helping us to allow little time to make a move after fielding the punt. Thanks again, and as always, go Bills. Yeah, I think this is a pretty fair thing to say. On Friday last week, I talked about the Bills being outstanding at covering punts this year, allowing an NFL low two yards per punt return. And I do think some of this is credit to how slow Matt Hawk is at getting punts off. You know, we talk about hang time, and we think of that as a statistic to measure a punter's ability to allow his coverage unit to get down the field. What we don't factor into that is... The snap to punt time. And so I don't know if anyone's interested in creating a new metric out there, but what we really need is snap to return time, right? Because as we're learning with Matt Hawk, that plays a factor. And it absolutely allows the Gunners to have more time to get down the field. I didn't even think about that. So Jeff, great point. And uh, somebody get on that metric. The next one today comes from Ryan who says, I'm curious to know through two weeks 
how big of an impact Star is having on the game. The defense is giving me 2019 vibes, and I can't help but think that the big body and the heart of the defense is playing a pivotal role in freeing up the rest of the D-line and linebackers. Ryan, I don't think there's any doubt about it. He is a big reason why we feel the way we do about this Bills defense. And not only is he a good player that helps the run defense for very obvious reasons, having that natural one technique on the roster allows the Bills to get the defensive line rotation the way they want it. You don't have Quinton Jefferson playing one tech. You don't have Ed Oliver playing one tech. You have those guys playing the correct positions all the time. And so you add a better player to your rotation, but you also have your other players playing where they're supposed to. And Starr has made his own share of plays, pressuring the quarterback, defending the run. He's been outstanding. And he has elevated this defense in a big way. And I think we can look at what this defense was in 2019 with Starr, what it was in 2020 without him, and what it's like in 2020 with him, and point to him as one of the reasons why this defense is back on track. The next one today comes from Tim who says, a while back I sent in a question about Poyer and Hyde and how they are the Keekly and Davis of this McDermott defense. I do understand they play different positions, but the way the NFL has evolved towards passing first makes me think that good safety combos are the new great linebacker combos, particularly that they are the vehicle that sets a cap on what the offense can do. Do you have any thoughts on this idea? Is it off base? I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. Um, I think as time goes on here and we consider how good Poyer and Hyde have been, and you think about how much Keekly and Davis meant to that Panthers defense, I think you can draw some correlations. So, yeah, I think, and I've been saying this, that the heart and soul of this defense is Hyde and Poyer. There are other components that make it really good, Trey White, Matt Milano. But, man, Poyer and Hyde are the consistent variables. And you make a great point when you say it sets a cap on what the offense can do. That's exactly what Hyde and Poyer do. That's why, despite a speed-deficient secondary, nobody wins down the field against the Bills. It's because their safeties know how to cap route combinations and keep the roof on the defense. Now, as far as great safety combinations being the new linebacker combination, I've always thought linebackers were really important, and I've always thought safeties were really important. We always talk about premium positions on defense. I, in today's NFL, when you have pace and space and all these different designs to create mismatches, having linebackers that can run, chase, and cover matters a ton. Just like at safety, you want guys that are interchangeable, that can play man coverage, one high safety split zones. You need that. I think it's critical. You look at it, you compare it to corner. Everybody accepts corner as a premium position, but if you have an elite corner, they can only guard one player. And as an offense, you can scheme around that. But safeties move around. You can play safeties all over the place. 
And so, yeah, I think they're critical. And the Bills having Poyer and Hyde is such a treat. It is such a treat to have those two players. Let us forever be grateful for our time with Poyer and Hyde as the safety duo for this defense. The next one today comes from Patrick who says, I owe you an apology about Dawson Knox. He has exceeded my expectations and met yours. Love the win against Washington, but is it time for us to find a new special teams coordinator? Two times in the last three games, a special teams blunder has cost the Bills. No, I'm, I'm not ready to say that. I actually like Heath Farwell a ton. I think he's developed so well as a special teams coordinator. I think his expectations are clear. I think the special teams have gotten better under his leadership. I just think you had two unfortunate situations. McKinsey misplayed that kick return, and the Bills had a letdown with their punt team. Now, if stuff like that continues, then yeah, I might agree or you know be a little bit concerned, but at this point, I'm not. I really like Heath Farwell. Last one today comes from Zach, who says, now that we are a few weeks into the season, who do you see as the three best teams in the AFC besides the Bills, and what about the best team in the NFC? How do you compare this to what you thought entering the season. So in addition to the Bills in the top three of the AFC, I have the Chiefs and the Browns. Now, if I have to put a team that's not the Bills in this top three, I might look towards the Chargers. Pretty impressive win over Kansas City. I'm really in on Justin Herbert. I like what Brandon Staley is doing with that defense. We'll see. It's a long season. They have to be able to stack wins and learn how to win as a football team with consistency. So I'm not sure if I'm ready to say, yeah, they're definitely among the top three, but they're making a case, right? And they're getting better every single week, it seems. Um, We can't forget about Baltimore. They probably should be 0-3 at this point, but they found a way to win a couple of games. And, you know, they've got some chinks in the armor for sure with their passing game, with their Rushing attack right now with so many injuries. Defensively, they haven't played two expectations, but they're definitely a a team that's going to be difficult to play because of how unique a style of football they play. On the NFC side of things, it's the same three teams at the top in my mind, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, and the Rams. Nothing yet has forced me to, to move off of thinking that those teams are the best three. And so I entered the season thinking, Chiefs, Bills, and Browns were the best three in the AFC. I entered the season thinking Bucks, Packers, and Rams were the best in the NFC, and I'm still there through three weeks. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Thank you so much for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Tomorrow, we're going to get into the weeds with the Houston Texans. It's going to be the comprehensive primer. I'll break that team down from every angle, talk about the challenges that they present for the Buffalo Bills, and what the Bills need to do to get a victory on Sunday. Then we're going to do crossover Thursday. And of course, our leftover thoughts, banged up Bills, predictions and all that for you on Friday. So make sure that you're subscribed, rate, review and share the podcast. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.